0: And I'm going to read to you out of Proverbs 14, 34 first. And it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And then 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. And these two have been our main scriptures. Um, but we're going to keep adding as we're going along. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that to you so that, thank you. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so we've been seeing that the church of the living God is a pillar and buttress of truth, which means that it's the pillar and it's the foundation of truth. And then in verse 16, it describes that by talking about Jesus. And so we're learning that if righteousness exalts exalts a nation, and that's what the scripture says, then we have to know what righteousness looks like. How do we know it when we see it? And so One thing I want us to understand is to exalt a nation, we first have to let righteousness be exalted in us. We have to be willing to let righteousness start in us individually and then corporately in our churches. And then we go to our places of business and we have a positive impact on them. And then we have an impact on our community, on our state and the nation and then to the world. And um, if you haven't figured this out, God is very systematic and methodical. He doesn't usually just do things. He's, he's got it. He's working His plan. Okay? And God has deemed that born again human beings uh, are to be His rule and reign on earth. And so that means that we have to grow into all that God has for us To change our world for good. Following after God. And in looking at this in the past weeks. We found out that God is after our hearts. It's a heart issue with God. It's not a talent issue. It's not a skill issue or anything else. It's about a heart issue. Because if God has your heart. Then he has everything that he's given you. But if he doesn't have your heart. Whatever gifts and talents you have. Won't be anything for him. So and then uh, we looked at this with. God choosing David over all of Jesse's sons. And the scripture says that he was really the, the weakest. He was the one. Uh, Jesse didn't even remember that he had him. He was out tending sheep. I mean, that's how low on the totem pole he was. But God saw his heart. And so God's after the heart. We looked at the widow's might. And how God saw her heart. Versus the heart of the other's. That gave. And then we looked at seeing difficulties as discipline from God and and God loving us and and God changing us into His righteousness and allowing us to share in His holiness and His peace out of Hebrews. And so in Isaiah 33, um, we have to understand that government is important and the best government for the people is when righteousness is, is reigning. And so in Isaiah 33, verse 22, this is what it says. For the Lord is, if I say is, our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Okay, now, this doesn't say that he's thinking about being a judge, it doesn't say that he's thinking about being our lawgiver. He's thinking about being our king. It says that he is. If I say he is. He's he's not endorsing. It. He's letting us know he is all of these things for us. And if you're going to be a judge, a lawgiver, and a king, that's government. Amen. So he's government. And then he's given us a portion of that government to get. He's given it to us. And so it's important that we understand that uh, The enemy wants to come in and usurp God's authority, God's government. And so he's corrupted it and he has been successful with the fall of man. But with Jesus coming back, we can redeem that again. Amen. So we have to understand this. We understand there is a battle of who will govern, who will rule, who will exercise authority on the earth, God or good or evil. And we looked at Genesis in the past, chapter 1, and we found out that basically this is what God's saying. My family, mankind, will rule the earth, their home for me. They will be an extension, an expression of my kingdom's government on earth. And it's through us, through our families, through our churches, through us getting into the community that God will release His influence, His righteousness, His kingdom ideals and ways into the earth. But again, we've mentioned the fall of mankind. And at that point, the enemy got the keys to rule the earth. But when Jesus came, He took them back. And we'll get to that in just a second. But if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll camp there for a second. Ephesians chapter 2. You see, there is a battle going on of good and evil. And it's always been going on, but God is proving his goodness, his grace, his mercies. Through us and through us walking with him and allowing us to take that dominion and authority that he's given us. But we have to be in line with Christ first. So in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. It says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we'll pause there for a moment. So he's the prince of the power of the air. Okay, and that can be a scary thing, but it's not going to be. When you know who we are in Christ. But I want to pause here for a moment. Because it says that. um, At the end of this. It says the spirit that is now at work. In the sons of disobedience. So when we see the disobedience. Of the world. Of course they're just following after. The enemy. It's that spirit. That he's projecting. And it's coming Against goodness. It's coming against what is right. And in our country in particular, now it's decided that it can raise its head and and it's going to switch. And what was evil is now going to be good and what was good is now going to be evil. And. But I want us to understand there's a spirit behind all of that. It's not just happening by accident. Because the enemy. He is the spirit of disobedience. Verse 3. And, and what's so awesome about these scriptures is he's talking about how we used to be and, and how we are now. That's the awesome thing. Verse 3. Among whom we also once lived in the passion, passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so he's talking about what we were like before we came to Christ. And then he's explaining how we are in Christ. And the reason the world is walking in disobedience to God and His ways and the reason they are trying to call good, bad, and bad good is because they're following the prince of the power of this world, Satan. And there is no other choice that he has except for to lead the world into disobedience. But God is so awesome. And, and I want us to understand that it's a demonic spirit that is working on the face of the earth even more now. We are the light of the world, the salt of the world. And Paul goes on to make this conclusion as well. If we read the next verses in Ephesians chapter 2, Starting in verse four, we read one to three. Here's verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when if I say even when, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. So when he's saying even when it means like when you couldn't do anything about it when you couldn't clean yourself up, when you couldn't make yourself right, when you couldn't earn my salvation, then this is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Okay, verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I think one of the struggles that we have in the church is, is we don't understand that we've been raised up with Christ. We don't understand that we've been seated with Him And it's not down here, but it's in heavenly places. So we get to see things from God's perspective. We get to see life from God's perspective. And it's a whole lot better than man's. You know, I've told you, he says in Isaiah that he gives us his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways. And I've told you, I'm so thankful for that because you don't want to know the thoughts that I have about you all the time. And I don't want to know the thoughts you have for me all the time either. But you know what? I would rather have God's thoughts about you than my thoughts about you. I would rather have God's thoughts about me than my thoughts about me. That's how awesome God is. All right, verse 6 again. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. So that I was setting you up, man. Now, come on. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith in this not of your own. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him that we should walk in them. And so, as born-again believers, we are God's workmanship. Isn't that awesome? He is the one who has created us and causes us to shine our light by walking in the good works that He has already prepared in advance for us to walk in. So, I mentioned how the enemy is the prince of the power of this air. But here's a promise that Jesus gave the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so when Christ came, he took the keys back. He took the right to rule back from the end. He defeated him. Okay? Now, our responsibility is to walk in that authority that God gives us in Jesus' name. Amen? And so in Revelation 1, 17 and 18, it says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first And the last, and this is Jesus speaking to him, and the living one, if I say the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Isn't that awesome? And so he has the keys back. And one is he promises the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, I've got the keys of um, death and Hades. Both the same, I mean, different functions, but we have the keys. And in Revelation, I'm reminded when I read that, the scripture says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It it can knock on the door, it can bang the door down, it can do all kinds of things, but guess what? It's not going to prevail. And and we've mentioned this at the beginning of this series a long time ago. It's not going to prevail. We have to understand that. So, said all that so I could say this. I hear a lot of believers saying we need to do things differently and we need a new way of doing things. And when I hear that, I often just cringe. Because I'm convinced that we don't need a new way of doing things. We need to get back to the basics. We need to make sure that our lives are following after what God has called us to. When we're looking for a new thing, a lot of times I think that what we're looking for is something that's more exciting than what God has to offer. And I'm telling you, it seems crazy, but the life that God offers is the best life you can live. The way He wants us to live life is the best way for us to live life. It will be the most satisfying. It will be the most fulfilling life that you've ever lived when you live it God's way. Quit trying to come up with a new way to do things. If He needed a new way, He would tell us. And the, the amazing thing is, is His ways have worked for generations. They work for all time. They work in all generations. Every kind of society. And so, there's nothing wrong with God's ways that we're called to. I believe that that mindset of looking for something new is in direct opposition to the way of truth that God has called us to live in. In one of my classes that I was subbing for this this was so amazing this teacher was so wise and um, in her lesson plan that I was going over she had an article that the kids had to read and then the kids were st- supposed to pick out facts and opinions from the article and so, She had the definition for fact and she had the definition for opinion. Wasn't on the board yet. I was able to put it on there, but I asked the kids first. I said, what's the definition of fact? And immediately the classes said, whatever is true. And I said, no, because that wasn't what she had on her paper. But I also said no, because they were partly wrong. Because they were thinking, well, whatever is true is fact. Well, no, that's not true. And we're seeing that in the world today. That the world is saying, well, if I believe this is true, then it's true. It's not true just because you believe it doesn't mean that it's true. And so her definition of truth was given information that can be proven. That's a fact. Given information that can be proven. And so they had to read the article and they had to find facts, opinions. She had the definition of opinion. And that is one's uh, beliefs, one's thoughts, one's feelings, and perception. And they had to look through the article, they had to read through the article and pick out the facts and pick out the opinions. It was very easy for them to pick out the opinions. But it was very easy for them to pick out the facts as well. Now, I wish this teacher would take this to the fact checkers that we have for the media. Because they don't check the facts right. And they need to get this. Because they do it, if, if something is true in their minds, then it's true. It's a fact, but that's not really how it is. It's a proven fact. Proven information. It can be proven to be true. So there were facts of a particular gentleman and and where he worked and how long he had worked there. There was facts on uh, these two other people. We knew what their ages were. Now, how did we know that? Now, we knew it because of the article, but it could be proven. If you wanted to fact check it, you could go and prove it. You could, there was a fact of where this was taking place. We knew the city, we knew the place of business that it was taking place. Then there were opinions that they had. We knew what one of the guys felt because he said how he felt. Okay? We knew what two other people thought because in the article it told us. What they thought that was their opinion. Now, their opinion may be right, but it may not be. And as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, man, this is like, this is the struggle that we have in the world. We have the facts, but then we have opinions, and now we're reversing those. And people are declaring their opinions to be fact. And fact to be opinion. And that's not the way God is. God hasn't done that. He hasn't changed His mind. The Scripture says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, you can count on Him. You can trust what you read in the Bible is true. It's a fact. So turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Because we're going to look at some facts. Because like I said earlier, I I get nervous when people say they're looking for something new. Because I'm thinking, what's wrong with the old? What's wrong with the way God has already established things? You know, it's like the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Well, do you want it somewhere else? Do you want it to be found somewhere else? It can't be. It's only going to be found in the church. And, and as I share with you, the church is not perfect either. And I don't understand how God does all that, but that's his responsibility. We need to embrace God's way of truth. So in, in Mark chapter 8, if you'll look at verse 34. And this is found in the other ones as well. Mark eight thirty-four, And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's some facts in there. And we're going to look at them. But I want to continue. Verse 35 says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, and the Gospels will save it. Though that's pretty powerful fact. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? In other words, he's saying, what good is it if you're going to live your life the way you want to live it without God in mind? without following His ways and His principles and the truth established in His Word. What good is it if you gain the whole world doing that, but then you forfeit, you lose your life in the end? Or if you're trying to save your life, you think that your your wisdom is going to save you. Can I tell you something? Someday you're going to die. Someday you're going to get old. And and your body is not going to function the way it's supposed to. And you're going to die and you're going to meet your maker whether you like it or not. Whether you believe in Him or not, you're going to meet Him one day. You aren't that great. Verse 37. For what can a man give in return for his life? Thirty-eight. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So in looking at this, I want us to understand that Jesus is giving us a command. It's not a suggestion. There's not a way around this. There's not a new way to interpret this. He's telling this to his disciples. That if we are going to claim his name, then this is how we're supposed to live. This is the way of truth that God has called each and every one of us to walk in. And as we go through this, I want us to understand something. This way of truth, God's truth, the way God wants us to walk seems foolish. To the world. It doesn't make sense to them. And the awesome thing is. is God doesn't ask us our opinion on it. He, he doesn't ask for our approval. He's not looking for our likes. How many likes he gets. When we read Mark chapter 8. He's not looking for that. He's not looking to see how many happy faces he gets or how many sad faces he gets. He's looking for obedience. And it starts with this He says, denying ourselves. So we have to deny our opinions, our likes, our dislikes, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. Our perception of things. We need to be a people who are willing to deny them for Him. It's not like we're denying it to become brain dead, but we're denying it so that we can get His thoughts. We can walk in His thoughts. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about us renewing our minds. This is what He's talking about. Denying ourselves. Denying how we think about something. When we pray about something and we study God's Word and and we get counsel from others, we need to listen to what they say and and not go by our feelings, not go by what our opinions are. And there's too many people in the church who are doing that. We, We go around and we find people until we get the answer that we're looking for, until we get somebody that will agree with us so we can do what we wanted to do from the very beginning anyways. And God doesn't operate like that. He says, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to fall, then you have to deny yourself. It means we deny being selfish and (sighs) self-centered. That's a constant battle, isn't it? We deny ourselves being in control. Man, I'm telling you what. That's a problem all of us human beings have. We all want to be in control. We all want to be the one setting the course, and I'll tell you what—it's—it's it's funny because I—I had a teacher. How much time? I got time. I had a teacher. She, you know, I go and i, I sub, so I—I I don't know what I'm doing until I get there that day. And a one teacher came up to me. She said, "I don't know how you do what you do," because she says I'm a planner and I like to know in advance what I'm doing. And I just looked at her and I said, "I don't know how I." I said, I do know how I do what I do, but I'm a planner just like you. I said, i like to know what I'm going to be facing as soon as possible. And I said, but I'll tell you how I do this. I said, it's actually God. He's the only reason that I can do what I do. Because I said, what I do goes against every part of my being. It goes against my nature, it goes against my thoughts, my feelings, my preferences, my opinions. That's what denying ourselves is. And if that doesn't work, then He says, take up your cross. (laughs) You know, like, okay God, can't we just deny ourselves? Do we have to take up the cross? Yes! And it's not His cross, but it's our cross. He said, take up our cross, which means that our life isn't just about us anymore. Now we are to become God centered, God focused, love God, love people. There's a song called that. Love God, Love People. That's the Christian life. Love God, love people. And you know what? If you love God and you start to love people, you're gonna pick up your cross. That's the only way you're gonna survive. Because there's some crazy people out there. What? (laughs) Taking up our cross, we we choose to go against our own way. How we're thinking, how we're feeling and all of that. And we choose to walk his way. We choose to love those who don't choose to love us. We choose to not only do the right thing because there's a lot of Christians that, well, if I just do the right thing. But we have the widow's might that there were other people who were doing the right thing, but only God approved of the widow's might because of her heart. And so we have to be able to, and this is what it means to pick up your cross. You do the right thing with the right attitude. With the right heart with the right motive in your heart. And you allow God to begin to change our hearts, to work in us. And the interesting thing about this is we have to take up our own cross. I can't take up somebody else's and you can't take up mine. We have our own to take up. And he says, and follow me. So we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And so what does following him look like? Turn with me to John chapter 12. Because I think that when we begin to deny ourselves and take up our cross, we come to the realization what it means to follow him. And that's found in John chapter 12. And again, I want to remind you, this is the way of truth, but it seems foolish to the world. The world doesn't understand it. It can't make sense of it. But in John chapter 12, verse 23, it says this. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And if we just pause there for a second, I mean, if you were his followers, wouldn't you start to be getting excited at this moment? This is the hour that Jesus is going to be glorified. This is the hour that he's going to lay down the gauntlet. This is the way it's going to be. I mean, it's like these words are almost party time words. You know? He's going to be glorified. Oh, come on. Bring it on. Let's see it. And then this is how, the, how he's going to be glorified. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you unless a grain of wheat falls if I say falls into the earth and dies he's going to be glorified and he's saying unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit and again he he, Picks on this again. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. What does that mean? That means you're going to fall. That means you're going to die. You thought denying yourself and and picking up your cross was bad enough. Now you have to fall and die. In the earth! If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Isn't that awesome? And so I just want to encourage you that we have to be willing to fall and die to ourselves so that Christ can be glorified in us. And that's what it means to follow Him. To become like Him. To walk in the way of truth. The awesome thing is, is no one took His life. He gave it freely. And we can fight and kick and scream and holler and bicker with God about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, f- cross falling and dying. But look, if you want His life, that's what's got to happen. That's a fact. It's not an option. It's not an opinion. It, it doesn't make sense to the world, to the natural man. Remember, we looked at it, it said uh, when we started this, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And then there was a list of things. And uh, there was the, the teaching that he had in John chapter 13 about who is the greatest and he says the greatest among you must be the servant of the ones you like. No, he says the servant of all. And so this is backwards compared to what the world says. But I just want to encourage you that when you live the life that God wants you to live, that he's called us to live, when you live this way, there's no better life to live. There's no better way to live. When you Learn the secret of denying yourself, of taking up your cross, of falling and dying so that you can become more and more like Jesus. You will be so happy. You will be so excited. You will be so fulfilled. You will be living on purpose. And there's nothing greater than that. No one else can choose this life for you. You have to choose it yourself. And I pray that we're going to be a people who choose it. Amen? Alright, let's stand together. Now, I know that there's. you may be thinking this. And there's. if people listen to this, they're going to be thinking this. This is a hard life to live. Can I tell you something? It's a whole lot easier than the life that you would live if you were in control. I can't tell you how many people have told me this through the years. Almost 31 years in ministry, and I've I've heard this, and I've seen it, and people thought. But I I mean, I've actually had people tell me this. They tell me that they have their life planned out. And they did. God wasn't involved in it. But they had their life planned out. And I'm I'm just telling you. Their life is a mess. I, I, I know their lives. They're a mess. And I'm thinking. If you only would have allowed God. To be in control. let's pray father we thank you for this day we thank you for the love that you have for us we thank you for your words of encouragement they may not feel encouraged encouraging right now they may seem hard but father it's the only way to live you've proven it through Jesus and we thank you for the example that he has given us and father I pray that in our hearts and our minds that we would be willing to To become more and more like Jesus. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.